Exodus chapter 3, a very familiar text for most of us, uh, even for people that don't go to church, it's a pretty familiar text, but we're going to look at it hopefully with new eyes. Uh, as you know, we had quite the trouble getting home yesterday, and, uh, and so without, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell that story rather than to individually, because uh, once I tell a story about once or twice, I'm done. Jessica can tell it all day long, uh, and, and still tell it with exuberance. The third time I tell it, I'm kind of bored with it myself, and so... Uh, but nonetheless, we, we can't, we don't have time to recount it all, but we did have trouble and, uh, God provided, we broke down 47 miles away from the state line of Alabama, good home, Alabama. And so anyway, my brother and my dad came up and got us and we just had a little meeting there on the side of the road, two pastors and a surgeon, you know? And so we, uh, we, we got towed a little bit, got to go take care of all that stuff. So it's, it's going to be fun, but I want to turn here and, and here's what happened. You know, all my preparation and stuff is on my computer. Basically, my life is on my computer. And my computer is tucked away in one of those stowaway things in my uh, van, which is about 60 miles from here. And so uh, I asked the Lord when I woke up this morning about 530. I was like, all right, so what are we going to do today? You know, <laughs> well, what you got today? And so, uh, you know, what's the word? And, and this one phrase continued in my heart all morning, even to this moment. And that is take off your sandals. Notice here in Exodus chapter 3, we're just going to start reading here with verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, or here am I as another translation would say. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Your revealing of Yourself to us. For if You don't speak, we can't know You. But You have spoken clearly in Your Word and through Your Word, Jesus Christ. May we say yes and amen to what You have to say to us today. We pray in Your name. Amen. Jessica and I are the kind of parents that when our kids are gone or when we go on a date, we still talk about our kids. Uh, Now, I don't know if that happens to you, but we sit around and look at pictures of our kids and videos of our kids and we think to ourselves, boy, something must be wrong with us. 
you know, we're, we're escaping our kids, which we desperately want to do from time to time. Uh, and yet, when we're without them, we look at pictures of them, talk about their nuances and the differences in between their personalities and how they relate to us and how they relate to each other. I mean, we, we love our kids and we think of them and we can't stop thinking about them even when we don't want to think about them and so we're supposed to be focusing on other things. And this happened to us this past week, but something else also happened. Not only did we stop and sit around and without TV and internet and our normal amenities uh, in our little cottage in Michigan in the woods, um, we sat around and we talked about you. We dreamed about you. We talked about the nuances of you and the differences there and the great love that we have for you. Because even when we're away from you, we're thinking of you. It's sort of like St. Paul when he's away from his churches. He's writing to them, talking about his affection for them, his love for them, his dreams for them. He wants to supply what is lacking. And I want you to hear something today from this text that that maybe you've not heard before, maybe you've not seen before. It's not something I'm going to conjure up. I'm not smart enough to do that, especially on the fly, off the hip. But God can. And I believe He has a word for you today about taking off your sandals. You see, the backstory for Moses is Moses is a really interesting character in the Bible. He's really unique, much like Paul is. In the same way that Paul is this giant tower in the New Testament, so too in the Old Testament. You're not going to be able to read the Old Testament without bumping into Moses. He's everywhere. And there's a reason for that. God used him in a very particular way. He had some particular training. He was spent 40 years at the University of Egypt, essentially. He learned all of the mythology of the day. He learned all of the new science and technology of the day, of his day. For 40 years, he was in the lap of luxury in Pharaoh's house, uh, considered a prince, which is really just sort of a cabinet member within, uh, within the superstructure, if you will, of the superpower Egypt, which was really the dominant power at this point in time. We're talking here, if you want to track yourself chronologically speaking, 1400 B.C. Okay? And Moses spends 40 years there being trained by pagans and yet still holding to a faith in Yahweh. Of course, you know the story goes. He kills a person, buries them in the sand, which is sort of easy to do out there in the desert, you know. It's kind of wide open desolate. But Pharaoh finds out about this and is out to kill him, so he leaves. He leaves and goes to the backside of the desert. He gives up. He knew his people needed deliverance, but he figured, look, I've already messed up. God's not going to use me. So he goes to the backside of the desert, uh, literally. I mean, if you can get any more back side of the desert than the desert, I don't know how you do that, but this is Podunkville. You know, this is... uh, if you, if you think parts of Madison and stuff like that are, are seen to be rural, you have no idea what rural means. Come to Mississippi with me sometime and I can show you a little bit about what rural means, where you have to go 30 minutes just to even gas station, you know. Um, and so here he is on the back side of the desert, uh, and he goes to this place. He finds himself you know, shepherding sheep, which is also a powerful image in the, in the uh, old, whole Bible. And he sees this bush, and... Of course, it, the scripture is very clear here that he's on Horeb, the mountain of God. And you're like, okay, well, that's 
Bible always does that, just throws out some names, right? That's not just any name. Horeb is the mountain of God. This is actually Sinai. Mount Sinai, where the covenant is given, where you remember the people of Israel will come here later. Moses is about to be sent to pull them out of Egypt and back to this very mountain. But this is Moses' first meeting with God. The second one was going to be crazy, crazy. It's not just a bush that's burning. The whole top of the mountain is on fire. And there's a thunderstorm up there. The mountain is quaking, we're told, in the Scriptures. And then God says, come up here, Moses, and talk with me. (laughs) Moses is not there yet. God God just uses a little bush here. And, uh, and he says, and it catches fire. And Moses, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and check this out. You see, there's something about fire in the Bible. And there's really something about fire in our own life, isn't it? Fire is one of these things that attracts us. In other words, if there's a fire around, I can guarantee you your eyes are going to wander to that fire. You can look into the abyss of the forest. You know, you can do that. But your eyes are going to go to the light. Uh, while we were driving down yesterday, there was this car on the side of the road that caught fire. And everybody's just standing around watching it burn on the side of the interstate, you know. And my boy's like, what in the world? And I'm like, yeah, the guy's car is on fire, right? Well, then, at mile marker number 47, our car, the, the temperature gauge goes from 180 all the way to the red. It's completely red as it can get. So I have to turn over. And as soon as I turn over, they're like, what's going on, Daddy? Because, you know, I slam on the brakes. I'm pulling over. And all of a sudden... Steam starts coming out of the out of the engine part, and after they had just saw a car on fire with people burnt, everybody's clamoring to get out. I'm trying to say, hey, hey, it's fine, it's just steam. Everybody's already out, just concluded, over here in the bushes on the side of the interstate. They thought the car was on fire. Fire's a scary thing, especially if you don't know what's going on. I'm like, guys, it was just steam. You know, we blew a little steam here. The car's not on fire. We're good. Uh, actually, just a moment ago, uh, I overheard Baylor telling Harrison. Uh, he said, yeah, our car caught on fire. And he said, my seat started to get really warm. And um, I said, I was trying to study and I said, son, seriously, the car was not on fire. And then Jackson, Jackson piped up, seriously, daddy, my seat was warm. I was up near the front. You know, I said, son, there is a firewall. Even if it was on fire, there's a firewall in front of you that you didn't feel any heat from that car overheating. Oh, man. But fire is a scary thing, isn't it? It's something you don't just naturally want to run into, some blazing furnace. really reminds me, doesn't it, of and you, of Daniel later on? They're, they're placed in this blast furnace for them to die. And even, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, uses uh, his... All right, no, who was it? No, who was the, who was the king? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. It was Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, good. Question myself. But Nebuchadnezzar throws them in there. He actually gets his mighty men. This would have been like SEAL Team 6 to go over there and throw them in there. And they die because of the heat just of throwing them in. They don't even get in the fire. They're just near it and it melts them, kills them. And yet the three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually go in there. King looks in there. There's four people. He says, one of them, guys, did we not throw three in there? There's three in there, but there's also this other one that looks like a god. And they come out, and the Scripture's very clear, they didn't even smell like smoke. It puts that little nugget in there because the fire that God invites you to, see these images we have around, to remind us, 
the fire that He invites you to, yes, you're like a hair going into a blast furnace. You think you'll melt, but you'll be refined. You'll be walking around with one that looks like a God who is God, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of fire this bush was on fire with. And Moses, the Scripture says, turns aside to see it. You know what we need most today in our world? Not the president of your choosing. Not a better political structure. The problem is much deeper than just politics. Politics is harried and confusing and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is deeper than that. And more simple than that. It's evil and sin and an enemy that is prowling guerrilla warfare wise trying to blind us from certain things. Keep things camouflage that God wants you to see. What we need is the fire of God. His fire to fall. We're really primed up. It's like you prime something. Like I prime my weed eater before I crank it up. We're really primed right now for God's fire to fall. Times are dark. Troubling. This is when God's fire is most needed. When we're in slavery. It's when His fire comes. It's happened in history. The Asbury Revival, I've gone now to three different camps. And at at all three camps, there's been one college that has been mentioned, Asbury College. Why? Because back in the 70s, there was a revival. The fire fell. And you know what? Because of that revival, excuse me, there have been ripples of that effect. It, It started a wildfire for God in the world. And people came onto the campus and literally would catch fire, spiritually speaking. I was told at these different camps of people who were there, The speaker that we had this past week said, I was deeply influenced because of what happened right there, way back then. And think of all the people that he influences as he goes around evangelizing and he's been a pastor and already retired from that. The fire fell at one location and many caught fire. People come to the fire. Even skeptics. They told of a story of a news anchor who went down to see what was going on at Wilmore. These crazies are having some kind of revival, right? And he said when he stepped on campus, he fell on his face because that's all he could do. We're told he's not the only one. When you walked onto campus, the power of God was so strong, you couldn't walk any further. You had to get on your face and repent. So I've never been a part of something like that. Pray to be. Pray to be. Pray the fire would fall. Pray the glory of God is so thick that all you can do is fall under the weight of His presence. Yes. The Scripture says that we should fear God. When we were going around to different churches before we planted this church in this area. Um, I would go to services, you know, as a trained seminary and all this kind of stuff. And, I, of course, I, I kind of view things a little differently than just your average Joe that comes to church wandering in. And I asked myself at every place I went, 
do we really fear you? Like, do we look like we fear you when we come to worship? And I have to ask myself here at Harvest Point, do we fear God? Do we even know who we're calling upon? As Lewis so famously penned about Aslan, who's a type of Christ, he's not a tamed lion. The children are like, oh, this Aslan you speak of sounds great. He sounds grand. We would love to just pet him and hang out with him. She's like, wow, daughter, you know, talking to, uh, who was it, Lucy? She says, sweetie, <laughs> he's a lion. You don't just go petting lions. He's not tamed. He doesn't do what you want him to do. He's an all-consuming fire, the Scripture says. And yet we invite this fire to come. Not because we seek death, but because we need to be refined. And that happens by fire. You have bad water, you boil it with fire. Purify it with fire. Notice what happens here is, is, is crazy. This caught me. I've never seen it before. It says, He looked, behold, the bush was burning, verse 2, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great thing. So Moses turns aside, which I think is a, a type of repentance. If we're going to see God, we have to repent of our sin. Amen. You cannot continue to live the way you've lived and see God. That's impossible. You can't serve God and mammon, as the old King James used to say. No, you're going to have to turn aside just like Moses did. But then notice what happens. This is is what I've never seen before. When the Lord saw that he turned aside. The Lord saw him turn aside. I love it when the Bible speaks like that. He sees you. He sees what you're doing in your heart. He sees what other people don't see that you do within the week. You may be great on the outside and think yourself a good person, all these kind of things. Listen, everybody I talk to on the street, if I ever do talk to somebody about Jesus on the street, they think they're a good person. Everybody's a good person. That's not the question ever posed in the Bible. Really, the prerequisite to being a Christian is to say, I'm not a good person. So when you say you're a good person, you're already telling me that you don't know what it means to be a Christian. Who can be good but God alone? It's posed in the Old, uh, New Testament. God sees him turn aside and he will see your repentant heart. Some of us are stubborn. As the scripture says and uses this unique term, stiff-necked. You ever seen like a mule or something get stiff-necked, right? That's what the children of Israel described as, stiff-necked people. Actually, there's another term in the Hebrew that means they sin with a high hand. To God's face. He calls him over. So Yahweh sees him, turns aside, and he calls to him, Moses, Moses. You don't know what Moses means? Moses actually means to draw out. That's Moses' name. So Moses, given this name, remember by the princess in the water as she draws him out of the water. Okay, Now God is going to use Mr. Drawout to draw them out of Egypt. But before Mr. Drawout can do that, 
he is drawn out to the wilderness to meet with God. We all need to be drawn away from our normal rhythms and routines and let God shake things up for us. Because before he can do anything, he's got to take off his sandals. I mean, he's about to part water. He's about to call ten plagues down. He's about to do some crazy stuff. Make the sun stand still. And from their perspective, you follow me? I know we're a scientific world, but from our perspective, the sun stops. We stop rotating. He's about to do all that stuff. Before he does any of that stuff, he's told one simple command. Take off your shoes, buddy. Where you're standing is holy ground. It's funny, he's actually told not to come near. As we traveled around to different churches, and as I've been to different churches, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not by any means poo-pooing on any different church, uh, because we have, we have our issues here. Uh, we have to make sure what we're doing is, is according to the Scriptures and, and what God is calling us to do. But I went to this one church, and I won't say which one, and I, and I walk into worship, and there's a guy, you know, I, I kind of come in and sit near the back or whatever, and this guy comes in to stand beside me <clears throat> as we're singing. Like, we're singing, holy, 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 you know, as the Lord of hosts and all this kind of stuff. And he's in his pajama pants drinking coffee and eating a donut. And I just thought to myself, I, I just wonder, do we really know who we're dealing with? Are we so far removed from God that it's just an event we go to where we should be comforted where we should be petted is that what church is it's not why I come to church I come to church to see God moving in his people the fire of God falling on his people people crying out to Jesus for help when's the last time you did that when's the last time I did that Say, man, you're really preaching at people today. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm, you're overhearing what God gave to me this morning for me and for you. And that is, we've lost a vision of who God is. We don't know who we're really calling upon. He's not common. He's holy. We don't get used to lollygagging, skipping around in His presence. Now, there's always two ditches. The legalistic ditch, oh, we have to do everything right. To say everything right. No, 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 no. Nobody's saying that. Antinomianism, which is the other side, big word, means that we just say, you know what, with the law, nah, we don't need to follow the law. Law is small, right? Tradition, nah. Just... Trust the Lord. Who figured it out? I think there's a middle place where we merge liturgy and experience of the Holy Spirit together. And we say, Lord, are we doing the stuff here at Harvest Point to invite your presence? Because when your presence comes, it's a heavy thing. You know what glory means is weight. It has the idea of a weight. And God is weighty. He's more real than any of us. We're like ghosts compared to Him. He's the weight. He's the one who's holy. And when He moves into a place, you look through your Bible. Anytime God shows up, people fall on their face. I've seen at church service people laying out like this and falling back. You never fall back. Unless you're not with Him. 
Remember, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and they fall back because they're not with Him. But those who are with Him, when God comes, they fall on their face. When's the last time you fall on your face? fell on your face? Before God. Because it was the only thing you could do. You couldn't even stand up. So that's just for the elite. That's just for the desert fathers and people you read about in church history and stuff like that. It's really not. We're dealing with the same Holy Spirit. You don't want that experience of God, the heaviness of God upon you, the fire of God, just because you don't want it. It really comes down to that. Here's what the Scripture says in James. I love James. James is one just to kind of come up and punch you in the gut. Knocks the wind out of you like, golly, man. You can, only, you can only take so much James a day, I believe. Um, you just be beat up completely by the time, end of the book. Here's what James 4, 8 says. Draw near to God. And guess what? He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, men of the double mind. Two movements. Forgiveness and cleansing. Sanctification. You're forgiven of your sins and then filled with the Holy Spirit. I make that distinction often. You oftentimes hear me saying it's not just about forgiveness of sins because it's not. That's the beginning of the relationship. The fire must fall. Listen. This is something that that commonly happens and the enemy has us by the throat when we think the Christian life is meant to be just failure after failure, coming to God, asking for repentance. Paul will say, that's the elementary stuff. You need to move on to the meat. And the meat is this. When we are saved, when we are forgiven, we get all of God. You don't get half of God. You don't get a portion of the Spirit. You get all of the Holy Spirit. He comes in and you have all of Him. But you know what? He doesn't have all of you. When the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, they were gone from Egypt. They weren't anywhere near Egypt. And yet Egypt was in them, they found. They longed to be back in Egypt. Under slavery, yes, for boiled onions. Now, I love onions just as much as the next guy. But it literally says that in the Scripture. They longed to go back so they could eat onions. What kind of stuff in our life is as silly as onions that we hold on to and say, I wish I could do this. I wish God was different about that. God had something so much greater in store for them than onions. Amen. What kind of stinking onions do you need to throw away? What kind of desires, appetites, attitudes do we need to say, Lord, I know that's not like you. Can you purify that? I'm convinced that we just want to ask for forgiveness and keep being attitudinal. He can heal. He's the great physician. He can heal. That's good news, my friends. He can heal us. You don't have to live a defeated life. We must not. The norm for Christians is to live victoriously. Amen. That's the norm. It's not some super thing that only the elite reach. He's calling you to come to the fire. And you know what? You don't have to have all the theology right. You say, I don't know all that you know. I don't, I don't understand everything. You know what? 
Moses didn't either. If you keep reading, he argues with God for the next few chapters. All that's required of you is take off your sandals. Just take off your sandals. Something simple. Something almost too simple. Because he gives us a first step. Before Moses raises his rod and and parts the Red Sea, he has to first take off his sandals. What does God want to do right here? We dreamed about it this week. We talked about it. I prayed for you. My love is just like about to blow up my heart. What does God want to do with you? Yes, you. You say, no, not me. Yes, you. Surely not me. Yes, you. Oh, I know he's not talking about me. Yes, even you. (laughs) What does God want to do with you if you'll just come to the fire and take off your sandals? Recognize that he's here. Recognize that he's here in power to heal, to cleanse, to purify our hearts. That's where everything else comes from. He's not worried about putting a band-aid on a scrape. He's going to the center of who you are, each and every one of you. He said, I wish I could do this better. I wish I could. You know what? Let him handle the heart, and you won't even worry about those wishes anymore. It'll be an overflow of love. Somebody can get up here, and, and this has nothing to do with the music team, but it's just an illustration that I have seen before. I've heard people that can't even sing get up there and sing, and the power of God fall. Why? And somebody else that is really good at doing it gets up there and nothing happens. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference? It's the power of God. You can see that person's heart of love flowing out. And it's unmistakable that they've been in the very presence of Yahweh, the Almighty. Trust me, I've preached before and I knew nothing was going to happen because I'd not been with God. And I've preached a really, lack of better words, crappy message. And God's power fell because it's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about how good you can do stuff. It's about Him, not how good you can understand things. It's about Him. All He asks you to do is take off your shoes. Moses hid his face, which is a sign of worship. Have you ever really worshipped God? I'm really convinced that people go through church Sunday after Sunday, and they're they're really, I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. I'm not sure what's happening. I don't know who you're singing to. And I'm not getting on you because I've been there before. That's the only reason I can speak about it is because I have been there before. Just going through the motions. We're in the presence of God Almighty. It's not time to just go through the motions. Listen, you know, I have other stuff here that we're not going to be able to cover. I just want to speak from the heart because, again, all I know to say to you is take off your sandals, whatever that means for you. Today, I want no, nothing more than to see you fall in love with Jesus. I don't have a heart that judges people. I really don't. I, don't, I really, I mean, number one, I don't have a lot of time to do that, to think about other people's lives. But some people enjoy that kind of stuff. I don't care anything about that. You messed up a hundred times. I, I, look, I'm like a dog. You can kick me a couple times. I'll come back 20 minutes later. You know what I mean? 
That's me. I don't hold grudges. That's just who I am. It's not, I'm super spiritual. I, I only think positive and visionary thoughts about your life in Jesus Christ. And, I, and, I, and I'm not, I hope that you hear my heart today. It's the same as God's as he's inviting the people of Israel up to the mountain. He actually wanted to speak to everybody. Did you know that at Mount Sinai? He actually wanted to speak to the first time he did speak to everybody. And you know what the people said? We don't want to hear that. Moses, you go represent God for us. They said that scares us, man. Have you done that with me? Have you allowed on me to meet with God each week and bring you a word? It's not how it works. You can't grandfather a tailcoat into heaven. You have to go to the fire. And I'm telling you like a loving father would to his children. I want nothing more than for you to be consumed with his love. That's what his fire does is it brings love. But you've got to be willing to take off your shoes. I don't fall down. You've got to be willing to take off your shoes. Something as simple as that. How simple was that? But it was obedient. And Moses took off. He did a very simple thing. God does all the complex stuff. Kind of like me working on cars with my dad. I'm like, yeah, I know how to change, you know, alternator. Hey, Pop, what was that again? Right? Oh, a screw here? Okay, yeah, yeah, right on. I can do it and I claim that I can do it, but really it's Him who's guiding me. Isn't that all our life in Christ? Amen. There's much more that could be said that I'm not because I believe the Spirit has spoken clear enough to your heart without even listening to what I had to say. I want to ask Rachel and, and any of the band that, that wants to come to play the last song they sang I can't. I never remember where what it's called. After I preach and stuff, I always forget. But that's why I tell Rachel before I'm like, whatever the last song was, do that one, okay? Because I'm going to forget what what I'm even talking about. We're going to sing this, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to the fire. And what I mean by that is maybe you've never even been to an altar before. There's nothing special about an altar. Nothing special about this bush, other than God was there, and He's asking for simple obedience, literally, physically. Bow your knee and your face. Hide your face before God's almighty presence. I don't know what he'll say to you, but I know he wants to speak to you. He longs. Did you hear that reading from Justin Hosea? He longs to be with us. Like a father, a good father. I'd also ask you to do something else. So maybe you've never been down to an altar before, but I'm going to ask you to do something else you've never done before. That is... Kick off your shoes up here. And I'm, I mean, everybody's invited to pray. You don't have to. Don't feel obliged to. But if you want to join me and say, you know what, Lord? It's overdue, over time to call for your fire. We need the fire of God to fall on me, on us. If you're willing to pray that sort of prayer, and Lord, whatever you say to us, yes and amen. And I want you to come, throw your shoes off, and join me at this altar. Amen.